You're listening to the 9 a.m. Sunday School class led by Pastor Greg Voorhees, Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, September 17, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. All right, so let's pray to the Lord. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, Lord, as we continue our study and we're finishing up our chapter, God, I just ask that you continue to bless it. God, show us what you need us to see, Lord, and just use it to, to shape us more in the likeness of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to watch the uh, video, so we're going to go ahead and go straight to page 104, which was the next question we read to Jesus as recreator when we left. This is according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. There was some, what are some of the differences between pre-Jesus and post-Jesus living, regardless of our ongoing battle with sin? So 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Cool. I just went past the whole New Testament. Second Corinthians five. Now I'm on Timothy. I'm, I'm determined to miss miss this. Okay, Second Corinthians five, seventeen through twenty-one. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone, and the new has come. Uh, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, uh, not counting men's sins against them. Uh, and, he, and he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through God, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore to you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had who, who God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, uh, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. So, what are some of the looking at this passage? What are some of the differences between pre-Jesus and post-Jesus living? There's one that really jumps out. How about the state of our relationship with God? Post-Jesus post living, when you say that we were reconciled, that, that our relationship was fixed with God, that it was no longer broken, so that's, a, that's a pretty big post-Jesus thing. You, you know, before, before Jesus... We were disconnected and separate from God because of our sins. But now regardless of the fact that we still struggle with sins, that, 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 we, are, that we are okay in God's eyes because of Jesus, that's, that's a huge thing. Is there anything else that jumps out at you there? What about this new creation thing? You know, before Jesus... Before Jesus, we were one way, and after Jesus, we were another way. That's a, that's a pretty big difference, you know, in the pre-Jesus slash post-Jesus time frame. You know, before, before Jesus came, um, we, we were the old man, we were the old woman, whatever the case may be. But because of, because of him, again, regardless of the fact that we still struggle with sin, but because of him, we're, we're new. We're, we're not the old. We're not the old. I'm not the old Greg. It's not the old Jim. It's not, it's not the old Charles. I mean, we're, we're, we're different because of the, because of the, um, the, the post-Jesus time. Is there, is there anything else in there? We got reconciled. We got that we're, that we're a, a new creation. There's that ambassador thing. You know, you know, of course, that's something that's kind of almost goes without saying. He had to be here before we could really be his ambassadors for us to really truly understand. But but the 
But, you know, the post-Jesus time frame, you have a job. You, you didn't necessarily have a job before Jesus. You, now that you, you live in the post-Jesus time frame, you know, after he's been here and after his resurrection and, and, and everything, you, you now have a, a job to be his ambassador. You are, you, and what exactly does that even mean? What's it mean to be an ambassador? I understand. Yeah, I understand. And everybody said it's the last Sunday of the summer, and it's really rainy. But you know, I I, I get that. But what, what's it mean to be an ambassador? What's it mean to be an ambassador of the United States? Yes, an ambassador of the United States represents the United States. So wherever the ambassador is in in the world. There is a piece of America there with him or her. You know, the, do you realize that the embassies, you know, the places where the ambassadors stay, that even though they are in a foreign land, that that little piece of land is still considered um, part of the United States? You, you know, and it's the same with them, where their embassies are here, even though they're in America, that those embassies... Are, are you know you know little pieces of that country inside of theirs. So maybe maybe our churches and our homes are like embassies, or even our workplaces when we're there. They're you know places that we've taken back for God. Those are places they're supposed to represent you know uh, His kingdom. They're supposed to be part of His kingdom. But when you're the ambassador. Your job is to be that representative, just like that U.S. ambassador always seeks after the, you know, the best interest of the United States. But most importantly, that, that ambassador is the representation of the United States in different places. We're supposed to be that same representation of Christ. Wherever you go, wherever you go, you're supposed to be representing Christ. You know, and, and that's, that's kind of a big deal. You know, it really, really is. The, the fact that Paul's telling us there that it's our job to be Jesus to the world, is that's what he's saying. You know, to represent Christ, it's our jobs to be the hands and the feet of Christ. It is when, when we should be acting in a way in the world that when they see us, that it would be honoring to Christ as opposed to making people say, why would I want to be a Christian? Because if that's what being a Christian is like, why would I want to do that? That's, that's a bad ambassador. A good ambassador for Christ is when people interact with you, they're like, hey, I want to be like that person. There's something different about that person. I may not even know what this Jesus guy is all about, but there's something different about that guy, there's something different about that girl. So that's, that's when you're being a good ambassador for Christ. That's what that looks like. So what else do we have here? Glory in Christ we have, we reconciled. Well, in the very end, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so then him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, now because of the post-Jesus time, the post-resurrection time, we are to be the righteousness of Christ. What, 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 what might that mean? I think, it, I think it's, it's, no, it's no mistake that he attacks that right behind being, you know, be an ambassador for Christ. Now he's saying be the, you know, because of what God has done, what Jesus has done on the cross, we, you know, he's, he's made us the righteousness of Christ. Do you think that that's connected to that ambassador thing maybe? That maybe maybe to the world we should be right standing before God before the world that we should be we should be examples of what it looks like to to live a holy life that we should be examples of of, of living a life that God would be happy with I, I think I think that is a call I think God has called us and this isn't and to be honest this isn't even a new call. You know, th this was actually pre-Jesus, too. We're talking about the Incarnation. There is no pre-Jesus as far as his existence ever. When we say, how about pre-post-Jesus, we're talking about his Incarnation. You know, when he came in the flesh, lived a sinless life, was crucified and raised again, all that. So we're, I'm talking pre and post-Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. 
but is being the being a, a representation of the righteousness of God. Is that really a new thing? Have you ever have you ever heard this thing in the Old Testament? And I know you have. <laughs> Be holy, because I am holy. You, you know, so God was calling, he was calling his people to be the righteousness of Christ even before Jesus came. He, you know, they, he, they, when God, God commanded way, 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 way back in, in our early years of, of human existence, God was calling us to be different. He was calling, he was calling his people to not look like everybody else. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew people, he did a lot of things to really drive that point home to, so that they didn't look like everyone else. You know, they couldn't eat the same stuff, they couldn't dress the same way, they couldn't, you know, a lot of, their, a lot of the things that was expected of them, you know, especially the food laws. You, you know, they weren't even, that, that, that was the whole point. It was to be different, it was to be separate. It, it was to be, not look like everybody else. So, so, you know, being the righteousness of Christ, or, or, or being called being an ambassador of Christ, he, you know, that's, that's not really a new thing. He, you know, that when, when God said, be holy because I'm holy, he, you know, that's, 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 that's basically what it was saying back then. Of course, he, you know, at this, this point, you know, they, when he said, be holy because I'm holy, I'm, I mean, the Hebrew people, you know, didn't expect that God had a son. <laughs> You know, he didn't. They didn't. They didn't realize there was this three-in-one thing going on. They just understood, you know, God. You know, what we call the Godhead. You know, but this this idea of being different, this idea of being a represent a representation of, of, of the people of God. That's not a new thing. But there are some very pre-Jesus or post-Jesus things that we talked about in there. This, you know, the. Um, the new creation, that's absolutely a, a, a post-Jesus thing. You, you know, we, we, were, we were hopelessly broken before Christ. I mean, we just were. And, and even those who haven't engaged in a relationship with Christ in this post-Jesus era, they're, they're still hopelessly broken. And that's why, that's why it's so important for us to be ambassadors of Christ. Because there's a hopelessly broken world out there. And they're going to continue to be that way until they're hopelessly damned. Unless, unless we become the salt of the world. Unless we become the light of the world and be ambassadors of Christ. You know, this, this whole thing of, of winning people to the Lord. God does all the work. To be a, represent, to be a representation of Christ to the world... He just wants your obedience. He just wants you to step up when, when that window opens up. He, you know, just, just to, when that conversation comes up or, that, or that, 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 that window of opportunity comes up. He, he just wants us to step into those things. And he's called us to do that. Ambassadors never stand on the sideline. They just never do. I'll, I'll tell you one of, the, one of the dumbest, but one of the one of the dumbest, but one of probably one of the best ambassadors. I know this is going to sound really strange, but just hang with me for a second. That I've ever seen in the history of the United States was Chris, the, the dude in Benghazi. You know, again, Benghazi for me is just, just a hot topic subject. I mean, all these years later, it just really is. But this guy, he was, he was so into... He was so into being a good representation of the United States, and he was so into wanting to embrace uh, the, the, you know, the people of the country that even when the United States said, it's too dangerous, we're not going to have an embassy anymore, and they pulled everybody back, he says, no, I'm staying. He, you know, he said, I'm staying. He, he, he said, there's too much at stake here. He, he, he's, you know, I, I, I'm making inroads with these folks. I love these folks. You know, I'm a representative of the United States, and he chose to stay. But what happened to him? He got killed. He, you know, but it's, 
So even though there's a side of me that says he's probably one of the dumbest ambassadors in the history of the United States because when the State Department says, come home, you know, there's a reason they say that. But he's also probably one of the best ambassadors because he said, you know what, I'm going to take a stand. It, it doesn't matter how dangerous it is. I'm, I'm going to stand here and continue the work of the United States. I, I think if we could all adopt that, that, that attitude when it comes to being an ambassador of Christ, you know, that even, with, even when folks are saying, you know, don't, don't go to that foreign country. It's illegal to be a Christian. They'll kill you if, if you go there. And, but some folks still say, I don't care. I'm going anyway. I'm going to be an ambassador of Christ. You, you know, that's a, that's a crazy thing to wrap your head around. But if those missionaries, if those missionaries can be that brave and be an ambassador for Christ in a place where I know in the Assemblies of God, when I was when I was in there, there was at least thirty or forty countries where the assemblies had missionaries, and they couldn't even tell you where those missionaries were because their lives were in that much danger. You know, the denomination had people in these countries, and they couldn't even tell you sitting in a pew in the United States where they were because their lives were in that much danger. If they could live under that type of threat and be an ambassador for Christ, how, how much easier should it be for us? I, I mean, we've got it easy. We've got it, we've got it in a place where you know, some people aren't even, aren't even uh, you know, you say you go to this church or that church, or hey, I'm a Christian. You, you, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's not seen as a bad thing. You know, I went to a concert on Friday. The Striper was my last bucket list band. They were my very first Christian rock CD that I bought after I got saved was this was this band. You know, and I've followed them for over thirty years, and I finally got to see them. But they were in this theater. It's called Tally Ho Theater. They were in this theater where. Because, because of the style of music they play, they draw all kinds of people. There are people with T-shirts from all these other different bands and stuff, you know, that, had, that weren't Christian whatsoever. And, and, they were, and in the theater, they were serving alcohol. But in the middle of that dark place, Striper stood up there and, and talked about how appreciative they are for the things that God has done for them and how much they love Jesus Christ. You, you know, so, even, so we even live in an environment where a, a, a Christian rock band can get up in what I would consider a bar and say, I love God, and people would, yeah! You, you know, if you, live in a, if you live in a country like that, it should be easy to be an ambassador for Christ. Even in the dark places, there's still some level of acceptance. You, you know, so there's, there, there has to, we, we have to be good ambassadors. Okay, number nine. In this episode, Matthew makes an insightful comment. Conquest is not simply conquering nations, but imposing a new way of life. In what ways does this describe the people Jesus saves? Ooh, this one's deep. Let me repeat that again. Let, let, let that absorb. In this episode, Matthew makes an insightful comment. Conquest is not simply conquering nations, but imposing a new way of life. In, in what ways... Does this describe the people Jesus saves? While you think on that, let me tell you the best example that I've ever seen in the history of this. Y'all remember the dude named Alexander the Great? Uh, I, I mean, this guy, this guy just, he literally, he, he just, he was conquering the known world. I, I mean, it was just, he, he just, you couldn't stop this dude, Alexander the Great. He even, he even came into Israel. You know, he took over you know, Jerusalem, Israel. He took over Egypt. I mean, he was just, I mean, his. But he did something, he did something that was very unique that, that I've not really seen many other conquerors do. He wasn't interested in, in just being your conqueror or, or, or you, you know, the, the guy that just tells you how to live life. He was interested in making you Greek. <laughs> he wanted to instill in you the Greek way of life. And we see this. We see, you know, was he successful? He was absolutely successful to the point that 
by the time Jesus um, showed up on scene and, and was and was um, you know having his earthly ministry here, so many people, even in the areas we call the Holy Land, you know, in Israel, they weren't. Many of these folks weren't even reading the Hebrew text anymore. What were they reading? The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. So there were so many, so Alexander the Great, even God's people, when he took over Israel, they, they call it Hellenism. He, you know, that, that, was, that, was what, that was the name that we call in history that, you know, tried to, to you know, to describe um, what Alexander the Great did. We call it Hellenism, that, that even Israel became Hellenistic. It became very Greek. They started, the languages started the, the mesh. They started to read Greek. They started to, you know, act Greek, the gymnasium. I mean, they, they started hanging out naked while working, you, you know, working out and pumping their muscles. That's something that they, they never would have done before because the Jewish people were very modest. God told them to be very modest. Well, the Greeks were very, ha, 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 look at me. You know, they, you know so, so he's, Alexander the Great very successfully when he conquered places, he, he made them almost, you know, almost disciples of, of, his, of his culture, you know, followers and students of his culture. He, he, you know, and it's, and it's something that even to this day, thousands of years later, you, you know, most, most biblical scholars... Not the Old Testament, the ones that, the ones that really specifically narrow down in the Old Testament. A lot of them still really focus on the Hebrew, but 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 when, when you look at kind of the the well-rounded, and I don't want to say well-rounded, the ones that kind of look at the bigger picture, focus more on the on, on the New Testament. They use the Septuagint when they look at the original languages. And to be honest, it's not that big of a deal because Hebrew Hebrew and Greek play very well together. You know, you can read the Septuagint and get the idea of what the Greek or the Hebrew text was reading. I mean, it, it, it's very, it's very, uh, it's very compatible. You know, another language that was very compatible with Greek and Hebrew was Latin, and that's why have you have you heard of the Vulgate? <laughs> that that was the Latin translation of the Bible. That was the official Bible. You know, of England. You know, the whole. You know, the whole, uh, you know, people were being burnt at the stake for just, just, you know, even trying to translate it out of the Latin. But the Latin, Latin, Greek, and, and Hebrew, they all play well together. You really don't, it doesn't start clashing until we start trying to put it in English. You know, but the whole idea here is, now that I've gone around this huge rabbit, rabbit trail about languages, Alexander, when he conquered, he, he didn't just want servants. He instilled a way of life. You, you know, and, and, and people actually embraced it. You, you, you know, like I said, the whole gymnasium thing. Think about the, you know, the idea of a modest Hebrew dude working out in the naked, you know, in his birthday suit. I, I mean, for me, that kind of just shows how much they embraced what, what Alexander sought out to do. So now let's look at, let's apply this very differently. Let's go back to this thing that Matthew, you know, conquest is not simply conquering nations, but imposing a new way of life. You, you know, in what ways does this describe the people that Jesus saves? What, what, what parallel can we, what can we make here? Oh yes. The, the, it, it sort of just keeps people are getting that mindset that I'm taking over what, what we would say is not moral to other groups. That's the way of life. That's, uh, that's all okay. Yeah, there there are many. You're right. There are many philosophies that try to do this, this very same thing Alexander did. There are many philosophies that try to normalize, 
you know, its, its beliefs and then instill it in you. And, but when it comes to Christ, kind of the parallel I see going on here is just like Alexander the Great or things like wokeism, all the isms that are trying to, you know, trying to make us think the way they think or do what they want us to do. When Christ comes in their life, do you think that maybe that, that we should embrace what he values and act like he acts so that, it, so that it's not just merely that he's conquered our hearts, but that we've actually embraced the lifestyle that he wants us to live. And that he wants to make a change in your culture, that he wants to make a change in your life, that he wants to make a change in the people around you and not just simply win. He, you know, that's, that's, Jesus just isn't just about just winning. He's already won. I mean, he has. He's conquered death and hell. He's conquered. Jesus has already won, but he wants to, he wants you to embrace his, 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 his lifestyle. He wants you to be a new creation like we talked about in 2 Corinthians. Bill? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The 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 changes the changes that, that I'm suggesting, you know, to embrace the lifestyle that God would want us to to embrace, to be an ambassador, you absolutely cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. You just can't. You, you you don't have it in you. The even as a new creation, because the new creation is still wrapped around a body of flesh, 
that's still subject to the, to the fall and, then, and everything that comes with it. It is impossible for you to be godly without God. It, it, it just is. It, and that's why one of the, the things I pray almost every single time I pray here, you know, it's not because I can't think of anything else to say. But Holy Spirit, you know, mold us in the likeness of Christ because I can't self-help myself into the likeness of Christ. I can't just want my, will myself into the likeness of Christ. The only way that I can be like Christ is for the Holy Spirit to, to not only live into me, but to take the reins to take the wheel and, and to make the changes. Because that goes back to my, my thing I talked about a few weeks ago. I, you know, it was, it was half, of a, half of a joke, but it, was, it, it wasn't at the same time because it was true. The, 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 time that, the, the time when I was a young guy and I thought, well, my New Year's resolution was going to be, I just was going to go a whole year without sinning. And I, and I made it to like halfway through the first day. He, you know, and even though there's there's a there's a humorous aspect to that, he, you know, just kind of making fun of myself and my inability to to do the right thing on my my own. The the reality is, without Christ, I can't do the right thing. It's not it's not in my my heart is wicked and, and deceiving. But 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 my but the Holy Spirit who who's who needs to be like my little power pack. He, you know, that, that's how, when I succeed, that's how I've succeeded. Every time I've done the right thing, it's because the Holy Spirit has done something in me or through me. It's not because I've pulled off some, you know, or figured out some cool way to, you know, to beat the system or to, or to finally, uh, you know, make things, you know, you know, be a better person. It's, it's always the Holy Spirit. You can't make it without the Holy Spirit. Uh huh. Been part of the problem in the fundamentalist movement is legalism. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, you know, God at his own time, I think he takes us through that. I've seen people get saved, supposedly, and they try to live by all these rules, and they just get frustrated and give up. Oh, absolutely. Fundamental. That's, that's, that's a funny word in church world, in church world, because by definition of fundamental, it's not a bad thing. He, you know, to be a fundamental Baptist. I mean, that's even in the new constitution that that word that wording was kept. You know, we wanted to be an independent fundamental Baptist church. Fun, so, fund, by pure definition of, of, of fundamental, the um, it, it's it's not a bad thing. How that ends up getting fleshed out legalism. is legalism. Yeah. You, you know, there was there was somebody that uh, there was somebody even in. In this body, you know, I had this very discussion with, and I told that person, "You are literally the most legalistic person I've met in my entire life." And I thought they were going to scratch my eyeballs out. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not legalistic. I'm like, no, very much are. It's all about rules. It, it has, but and the reality is, and the person I said this to. I don't want to villainize. Of course, you don't know who I'm talking about. Well, you probably don't know who I'm talking about. I don't want to villainize this person because this person was a wonderful person. However, wonderful people can still be legalistic and kind of jump the track and, and miss the point. And, and you know, and we see this another time in history. And you've you've hit the nail on the head. The Pharisees, they were so fundamental and became so so legalistic that the very Messiah that they were looking for, he came and they're like, well, you're not good enough. <laughs> you don't fit the rules. <laughs> you know? and, 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 that's, and do we see that in church? Well, that's, I, I've had that problem, judging people by their appearance. 
Mm-hmm. Hair, tattoos, or whatever. And then once I get to know them, it's like, wow, you know, we'll find out more about the crowd. I'll give you an example. What's in the racing field, Kyle Petty. Look at him, long hair and everything. How can he do that? You know, he goes up there and talks to people about Christ and everything. Well, I'm not, uh, I don't like the long hairstyle myself and everything, mm-hmm. but he probably did a whole lot more than I ever did to. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's others, too. There was things that I used to hear that Billy Graham shouldn't be saying this or doing that and everything, and it was all this legal stuff. But my goodness, there's a fellow that's probably won millions of people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But just because they weren't doing the way things that we wanted them done. You know, one of my favorite examples that I've seen in, in, in a kind of a contemporary context even more contemporary than Billy Graham. He hasn't been gone very long in, in, in the big scheme of things. There is a, there's a Christian band called Casting Crowns. Uh, I mean, if, if you listen to anything on Christian radio, you hear their stuff. I, I, mean, they're, I mean, you want to talk about a Christ-centered um, um, band. Two of the members, including Mark Hall, the, the lead vocalist, they're still youth pastors in their churches in Georgia, so they go on the road and tour Monday through Thursday, and then they fly home every single week to, to be youth pastors and to lead worship in their church. And then they go back out on the road again. I, I mean, these are very, they're probably some of the hardest working folks I've ever seen, you, you know, out there. I, I mean, they go way out of the world, way out of their way to literally minister to the entire world, but still minister to their youth groups. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, I can't wrap my head around how they pulled off, but they have, and they've been doing it for years. They're getting ready to, they're getting ready to come out with an album celebrating, I think, their 20th year, you know, so they've been doing it for a while. But the, um, um, with Mark, my, my, I, I kind of got sidetracked here. Oh, Mark Hall, he had a post one time. You have to remember, this guy is a youth pastor. Youth pastors are different creatures. The, I have always said, jokingly and not jokingly, that probably the best youth pastors are the ones that your insurance companies will tell your church, don't hire that guy. You, you, you know, because they're the ones that you know, want to take their kids rock climbing and, and, and all these you know, bungee jumping off the building, all these, all these crazy things. But Mark Hall had found a pair of Hulk hands. You know, I've seen my, my grandkids have them. They were, you, you know, you, you, I think you like squeeze them and they were like, and unfortunately, it was uh, the timing of the post, it was right at Halloween. And he's like, I found these Hulk hands. And, you know, and he was, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this guy's a nut. You, you know, I, I like him, but he's just a nut. They, dest- they were eating him alive and all the, all the threads about, you know about oh that's Halloween you're being evil you're this that and the other I, I mean just just you know filleting this guy and and I normally don't comment on anything because social media just kind of hurts my head most of the time. But I told but I I jumped in in this thread and I said you know what I think it's really funny that you in your living room are criticizing this man when he speaks to more people every single week about the living a life for Christ than what I ever have in my entire ministry. Every single week they reach more people than I ever have in my, all my years of ministry. And I, I said, until you've, until you've walked his walk and you've been where he is, you might not want to be so nitpicky about stupid stuff. It was hawk hands. You know, you know he, wasn't, he wasn't wearing like a witch's outfit and stirring a cauldron or something. They were hawk hands. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and they were, it was funny, you, you, you know, but, but that's what happens. People get so wrapped around the axle, so legalistic that it pushes the, it pushes the, the world away. They're like, why would I want to be like that? Why would, why would I want to introduce myself into a world like that? When, when I saw Striper Friday, they had a band open for them. I'd never heard them. There's some, some band out of, out of, out of Pennsylvania. They call, it was called Behold the Beloved. I thought, well, that's a cool name. And the whole time they're playing, they've got a, you know, a triangle for like the Trinity and, and a dove, and there's all doing this cool fire thing behind it. And, 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 the, and these guys, um, 
they looked the part, and I mean, it was edgy music. I really enjoyed it because I'm, I'm, I, I like edgy music. You know, I like it all. You, you know, I, I like the edgy stuff. I got tickets. I got tickets to see a, uh, a, a string quart, a string quartet playing by candlelight Christmas carols. So I'm, I like it all. You know, so I'm not criticizing any genre. But these guys, I mean, they looked the part, and I'm sitting there thinking. It's like, man, these, 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 these folks can reach folks that won't listen to me. Well, he stopped in the middle of the music, and he, and he preached the word of Christ. But the one thing he said, and, and I'm, I'm, it, embarrassed me, it embarrassed me because I've seen it time and time again. He says, I don't care if you've ever gone to a church and they, and they put you down because of the way you look or the way you talk, you are loved. And I'm sitting there thinking, we are such a poor representation of Christ. Because when, when this, this young guy gets there and says, I don't care what the church has ever told you. You are loved. You are important. It doesn't matter how you look. That, that, that probably got more cheers than when Striper opened, you know, came out on, on stage because it resonated with all these people. All these people from all these different walks of life, the very different reasons. People who were just there because Striper's been a been a name for, for now. Next year's their fortieth year. It, it, you know, it's it, it, it's just kind of, but it resonated. That what cheered even more than them talking about the love of the Christ is, is the fact that he, it doesn't matter what the church has said to you. You are loved, and it's like we are such a poor representation. I mean, I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking about Shandoah Valley Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church. The church does, we get so legalistic and we want people, we want people to look the way we look and to talk the way we talk and to do the things that we do. And, and, and you know, I don't fit the, the church mold. You, you, you know, here, and here's the reality of this. I don't mind wearing ties. I really don't. I don't have... I don't have some, some, some fear of wearing a tie. Why do I look like this? Because it's not, and again, I'm not trying to be Alexander the Great. I'm not trying to make you like me. You, you, you know, the important thing is, is that we send a message. It doesn't matter if, 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 if you come in a suit and tie or you look like the pastor, you're loved. It's not. I'm not trying to make you look like me, and I'm, I'm you know, and I'm not going to look like some some of the best dressed people here. I'm just, I'm just not. Why? Because it's, I'm sending a message. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm too lazy to put a tie on because I put ties on, you know, when I need to put a tie on. But but what matters is is, is there's a a culture that says I don't care if you're in a suit or I don't care if you're in jeans or I don't care. If, if you have a, a, a funky Hawaiian shirt on, you're loved just the way you are. And when we start wrapping our heads around that, and we start treating people that way, you're going to be blown away by the impact that it's going to have on the church universally. You, you know, when people, people start feeling accepted. I kid you not, true story. Again, I'm not naming names. There's somebody who's, who, who used to be a member here, came back here, and they told me that I was really, really worried when I came back because I was wearing jeans. And I thought, I wonder if I'll be accepted. But I walked in and I saw the, the pastor wearing jeans. I thought, okay, this is where I need to be. You know, so it's important that we, we are accepting and let people know. I'm not talking about I'm coming to you. Modesty is still important because the Bible does have, it does have dress codes. The dress code in the Bible is be modest. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's the other dress code that you see in the Bible is men shouldn't dress like women and women shouldn't dress like men. You know, you, you, when, when, you, when you look at Charles, you, you shouldn't have to think, is it a dude or a chick? <laughs> you, you, you know, and, and that, that's, that's kind of the... And, and I'll tell you that, that has that ever occurred? Let me tell you what. And this is a really embarrassing story. I can't believe I'm telling you this story. When when I was a teenager, and I was really big into the hair bands, my buddy Jason and I, we were going to be the Christian rock, the next big Christian rock band. And there was a new band. It was a, it was a secular band, very secular, a new band named Poison. The very first time we saw them, we thought, man, those chicks are hot. 
And then they started singing. It's like, they're not chicks. <laughs> I mean, so it's like, so it was like, okay, so Jason, if you ever meet him, he'll probably deny that story, but it really happened. I'm telling you, because so when you, you know, when you're dressing in such a way where people are, those are the two dress codes you see in, in the Bible. That's it. You know, if you're a dude, don't look like a chick. If you're a chick, don't look like a dude and be modest. We don't need things hanging out. He, you know, in fact, I was teasing Barbara the one time, you know, it was like, yeah, we don't want to see Barbara in a bikini over here because you're all not going to be listening to me. You're going to be looking at Barbara. You know, you know, we don't, we, we, you know, we, that's, those are the dress codes, but, but we need to, we need to let the world feel comfortable because it's, again, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to be part of the church universally. When, when a young 20-something guy gets up and says, I don't care what the church says, you are loved no matter what you look like, and, and then the crowd erupts. Because it's, it's embarrassing that that message resonates so deeply with the world. I remember uh, well, we were going to a church in Ottawa, but uh, the pastor there, he Mm-hmm. And every you wouldn't believe that people got so upset because I wore short shirts. And then then the pastor got wind of it. And he goes, uh, we're gonna have a special different type of service next Monday. He goes, we're calling it Monday Sunday. He goes, Monday Sunday. He says, what you wear to work on Monday is what you wear on Sunday. <laughs> Monday, Sunday, I like it. No nurses and everybody. It's if you're a nurse, you wear your nursing uniform. You work construction or carpenter, you came in in your blue jeans and your hammer holder and your flannel shirts and your. You know that's going to have to. You know that you wore at work? You know that's going to have to happen now, right? Oh, yeah. Those are my people. Absolutely. We gotta overlook what the person looks like and see what the person's about so we can give him to God but he can change him to what he wants him to be. Not because he don't come in as a suit and tie. He don't speak and act a certain way or pray another way. Oh, you're... You gotta put those stereotypes aside. You're right. You're, you're preaching.
I think you just. And I think that turns too many people away from the church. It does. I mean, they say I don't act the way I sinned. I got sinned. We all got sinned. If you're saying we all got sinned, that we have to deal with every day. Everybody's different, but we have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's sad when people get focused on such. Way things has got to be letter by letter, line by line. Yeah, we got to learn to be flexible, okay? Absolutely. Instead of being so rigid that so rigid that we turn people off in any way. Well, you just preached like the last quarter of my sermon, I think. <laughs> I didn't know that. No, that's that's a Holy Spirit thing. I mean that's 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 a good thing, but no, you're right. And, and to be honest, this is this is the first church that I've not worn shorts in during service. You, you know why? Because it, it's just because of the position that I was talking about, where I'm tr I want to create this culture where it doesn't mind. I, I also I don't want to be in in anybody's face either. You, you know so. There's been many things here where I've taken the middle of the road, you know, so that, you know, I try to make people feel comfortable but not be in your face, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of, you're right, that's, we should, we should be in an environment where it just doesn't matter, but we're, and I think once, once, I think a good ambassador of Christ looks beyond the, the superficial stuff. And, and it strives for winning the hearts of the world for Christ. And, and that same good ambassador, like we were saying, leans on the Holy Spirit because they realize they can't do it without the Holy Spirit and says, Holy Spirit, help me. I need you. I need you to do this thing with me and through me. I need your help. Amen. So let's pray because it's 10 after and, 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 the, uh, and, and we'll get ready for church. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I, I, I just thank you for this group. Uh, I, I so appreciate the way this group shares and, 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 and talks and, 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 and opens up about past experiences and, and, and things. God, this, this, is a, this is an amazing Sunday school class. It just, it just is. And I thank you for that, Father. God, I just ask that, that your will could just continue to be done in this place. God, and that you be honored in the way we, th the things that we do and the things that we say. God, help us be ambassadors for Christ. Holy Spirit, once again, just mold us in the likeness of our Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.